You're listening to the Ashwagandha Advantage podcast with Francine Schoenwetter, Content Marketing Director. This podcast is sponsored by KSM 66, the world's best ashwagandha. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Ashwagandha Advantage podcast. I'm Fran Schoenwetter. I'm the Content Marketing Director for Informa Markets, and joining us today via telephone is Dr. Elijah McCarthy, naturopathic doctor and wellness ambassador, as well at Irwin Naturals. Our podcast today is brought to you by KSM 66 Ashwagandha, world's best ashwagandha. A little bit more about our speaker. Dr. McCarthy is a writer, public speaker, and product formulator. He self-describes himself as person of service, committed to relieving human suffering, working to facilitate a paradigm shift in consciousness through education, product innovation, helping his patients reconnect to nature, their communities, and their authentic self. Prior to entering the world of medicine, Dr. McCarthy spent years traveling the world, immersing himself in the cultures of the world, and engaging in international entrepreneurship. During this phase of his professional development, Dr. McCarthy learned the value of overcoming fear and internal inertia when on the path toward manifesting one's true inner potential. Dr. McCarthy currently does work full-time in the natural products industry. He's the current product formulator and wellness ambassador at Irwin Naturals. Uh, Our subject today, we're going to be talking about supporting sexual health for men and women with ashwagandha, and a little bit more just generally about how we think about sexual health. The path to sexual health, it's not a straight line. There are many factors involved that support vitality, performance, hormone production. And as one of the great Rasayana herbs within Ayurveda, an herb that brings great life, ashwagandha supports many life functions. The tradition, coupled with the latest research, is showing us further benefits of regular intake to support sexual health and vitality. So on with our questions now for Dr. McCarthy. I'd like to start out by just asking you kind of more generally, when we think about supporting sexual health, are we focusing on treating problems or disease? All right, Fran, thank you for that question. It's a great one. Uh, and, And my answer to that right away is it really depends on the individual. But I guess let me qualify what I what I mean when I'm referring to problems and what I mean as disease, because I think those are two kind of different concepts that need to be defined. Uh, disease is really, in, in, in my world, a disorder of structure and function in a complex organism. In the West, diseases tend to be health imbalances that are quantifiable and can be measured with lab work or by the visual eye through a physical exam. Some conditions, such as diabetes, uh, is diagnosed depending on uh, a variety of biomarkers, such as our hemoglobin A1C or fasting serum glucose. These are things that we can measure and really uh, pertain to the the physical body uh, specifically. And and on the other side of things, we have what what you're referring to as as problems. And I kind of look at that as being more of an element uh, of the, the psychosocial aspect of the human being. And uh, a lot of these things are undiagnosable. These these are things that kind of escape the definition of disease. Uh, and to me, they're really any influence on, on our health that does not have a name or diagnostic code associated with it. And that includes emotional states, uh, thoughts, traumas, 
a feeling of lack of safety, a lack of purpose, a lack of connection with others and nature, et cetera. Now, these are problems that strongly impact sexual health. To me, in my, in my clinical experience, has been really the, the, the main factor to address when it comes to sexual health. Well, I, I know that you're working as a formulator now, and you've also worked clinically. When you're talking with a patient, what kind of perspective do you take from a naturopathic point of view? How do you work with a patient when it comes to sexual health and vitality? Sure. Well, you know, in, in naturopathic medicine, we do view uh, sexual vitality as being really one of the main pillars to health, very similar to the Ayurvedic tradition, where that is really ta- discussed in, in quite a quite a bit of, of volume in, in a lot of the ancient texts there. In naturopathic medicine, we really focus on, on the determinants of health. And so what are those things that, that we, from a naturopathic perspective, feel are significant factors that influence our health, in particular, this topic of sexual vitality? And, you know, they can include genetics, uh, intra, intrauterine influences, nutrition, patterns of exercise and rest, past illnesses, medical interventions that that individuals encountered, physical and emotional traumas as well as stresses and, and environmental exposures. I mean, all these really are encompassed in what we would consider the determinants of health. And then I also throw in there, uh, and we've said it a few times already, is, is having a sense of purpose and actually feeling uh, a sense of safety. And, and those are some basic rudimentary human uh, qualities that often get overlooked when we're discussing health, but play really heavily into this topic uh, of sexual health. So some people will come to a practitioner with actual dysfunction or dis-ease, but that might not be dissociated with some of the psycho-emotional and environmental challenges that they're faced. Do you work in a complementary manner with a patient in that way that may actually also be seeing a conventional doctor for maybe a, some medical reasons? Do you then do you provide them that complementary guidance for a patient like that? Yes, you, you hit it right on the head. That's exactly how I often uh, participate in, in my patient care. It's usually in, in concert with another, uh, another practitioner, and often that other practitioner is a conventional medical doctor or a, a doctor of osteopathic medicine, somebody that we kind of come together as a team. I'm, I'm certainly of the, uh, the opinion that, you know, a good health care is teamwork, and it's not siloed by one individual, one, one doctor is not, you know, communicating to the other. And just like the human body and how the human body relies on, on good communication in order for its function to continue in a healthy state, same thing with healthcare. As a doctor, we need to be, we need to be communicating and sharing insights with uh, the others that are involved on that healthcare team. And, and to be honest, uh, Naturopathic medicine tends to focus in on a lot of the, the topics that are, are missed or just not very well addressed through conventional practice. The modern medical approach tends to be myopic in their approach to sexual health. Uh, a lot of the time it's, it's focused in on the, on the physical aspects, which are significant, obviously, and, and in some cases can be really the, the core issue is, is a physical discrepancy. But a lot of the time, and at least in my experience, the psychological factor, the mental-emotional factor is so predominant that a lot of the time I am uh, interfacing with, with patients, it's, it's to help them in their own 
treatment plan that they're that they're following with another doctor. And so um, I'm kind of filling in that that mental emotional void that tends to be present in a conventional patient encounter when it comes to the sexual health. And also, I, you know, in order to get to the understanding of what those factors are that are impacting the patient, that are contributing to their, uh, their sexual dysfunction, it takes time to understand those things. And not only that, but because of the topic, it takes quite a bit of trust and a really camaraderie and a therapeutic alliance in order for a lot of the details to, to be teased out in the conversation for, for me to gain the perspective of what is really going on, what's the totality of, of the situation for this individual. And a lot of the time, again, I'm finding that it's a lot of the mental emotional factors that once you start to address those, all the other various treatments that the patient might be following suddenly become way more potent because you've removed one of the main obstacles to cure, and that is our, our own internal environment a lot of time. So in talking about the relationship between stress and other psychological elements that affect sexual health, when you are seeing a patient, um, do you find that as you build that trusted relationship and are able to get more to root cause related to the psychological elements that uh, their treatment plan changes, that perhaps they're able to move away from some of the some of the medical interventions that they may have come into practice with. Sure, and I, I think one of the the biggest things that occurs in in a lot of my patient encounters is education. I like to to educate patients um, and give them context as to what's going on in their body. And to be completely honest, it might be surprising to find out uh, to you and some of your listeners that a lot of people are not aware of how significant the topic of stress is and how it impacts their body, in particular. With sexual health, first off, let's let's talk briefly about what stress is. I think that helps to kind of provide some context, and then we can go into how it impacts the body and mind. And I'm often asked, well, what is stress exactly? And that's a very common question. And and the best way that I can sum it up without getting too cryptic in my in my response is to say that stress is really the result of resisting what is. And that statement applies to both mind and body. We can be in mental resistance and we can be in physical resistance and both fall into that definition of stress. And really there are two, technically two different experiences of stress too uh, that really hinge on how we approach the, the situation. One is called uh, what we would call eustress, EU stress or positive stress. And that type of stress motivates a person or tissue towards improvement or, uh, or a goal, right? For example, Consider the stress that our muscles experience when we, when we go to the gym and lift weights. This temporary type of physical stress helps to break down the muscle tissue so that it can build itself back up even stronger than it was before. And in all cases, eustress tends to strengthen us. That's kind of the, the, the hallmark of that type of stress. And on the flip side, we have distress or you know, DI stress, which is a negative type of stress that has negative implications on our physiology. Now, using that same example, let's say that you go to the gym and distress could be experienced by the muscle tissue when the workout is excessive or unbalanced and it's unremitting. You know, uh, if you go into the gym and you don't know really how to uh, properly support your body in that and you overdo it, well, there is distress that is experienced by those muscle tissues. The duration of the stressor really is significant in both scenarios, which brings up really the topic of acute versus chronic stress. And that's another distinction to be made. And as often a, a conversation I have in clinic, acute versus chronic stress are really two classes of stress that are 
distinguished by their duration. Acute stress is short-lived, uh, whereas chronic stress goes on and on. And our, our bodies are, are designed to handle acute stress very well. In fact, we have some very impressive machinery in place to manage acute stressors. Many of us have heard of the whole saber-toothed tiger analogy, which <laughs> helps to kind of illustrate the acute stress scenario as it pertains to the mind and body and what happens you know, in response to uh, an acute stressor. Our bodies are really built for survival, and survival is what the body prioritizes over any other thing, including sex and, and, and the sexual uh, vitality. That means if we feel under threat, survival physiology predominates while other uh, physiology related to the, the health and wellness of the body kind of get placed on the back burner. And again, that includes the topic of sex. When we're being chased by a tiger, the last thing we're thinking of is, you know, sex, which is one of the one of the ways that stress can derail our sex drive. This is an intentional move by, by uh, our biology, since, uh, since a variety of physiological changes are initiated by the mind-brain as it takes on stress and prepares body for survival. Initially, when the stressor appears, uh, the brain communicates to the adrenal glands and upregulate the production of your primary stress hormones, which are cortisol and epinephrine. And these substances are released into the bloodstream and really Really, within three seconds, the following changes will occur. You have blood that is being shunted away from the prefrontal cortex, and this is our, our thinking brain. And that blood is then directed towards really the reflex centers of the primitive brain to help with your you know, motor function and actually being able to you know, initiate mu certain muscle groups to escape danger. At the same time, you know, that blood is directed away from the visceral organs, including your digestive organs and your sex organs, and it's directed towards the large muscle groups such as the, the, high, the thighs and the, the gluteus and other larger muscles that you use to escape and, and run away from danger. Simultaneous to that, the heart rate increases, which then helps to stimulate more blood flow throughout the body. You have the lungs that are dilating to allow more air in so that uh, you, can, you can feed those muscles with oxygen that they need to function optimally. And then also you have your pupils that will be dilating to allow more light into the uh, optic nerve and to, uh, you know, uh, provide for finer visual details. And all those play into that whole scenario of escaping and danger, you know, and, and we often use that, that uh, the tiger analogy, although that's not terribly applicable to modern day. We do have our fair share of tigers out there in the modern world. Just that they don't take the, the same presence, obviously. So that's really the, the acute stress scenario, and that's how the, the stress response is engaged. On the flip side, we have our chronic stressors, who, which tend to almost exclusively be initiated by the mind. Um, there's nothing really out there in the world. A lot of the chronic stressors that we experience are ruminations in our own mind that initiate this stress response and keep it going on and on and on. And that is really what happens with our modern chronic stressors, is that we have so many worries. We worry over financial security, over job security, you know, whether it's uh, relationships or the persistence of negative, anxious thoughts that tend to just never go away. All these things are stimulating our stress response, which then helps, you know, really calls for the production of cortisol and, and epinephrine, which then really impacts all of our physio physiology. Not only that, but then it impacts our hormone production, right? So all this is kind of building up towards how does ashwagandha work exactly and what is it uh, how is it uh, so beneficial and, and a lot of what i'm talking about is, is precisely that as ashwagandha is an adaptogen it has this effect on the body that really supports homeostasis 
and in particular with the the endocrine system, right? With the all the the hormones that the body is producing, it really helps to bring a balance to that. And uh, you know, uh, ashwagandha in particular, KSM sixty six has a has an incredible list of 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 human clinical studies that have been done. Really, on uh, a, a few of them been on on these topics specifically on sexual health and stress response. But you know, in the end, I think the main obstacle that modern individuals face is that we have so many things to worry about in our environment, right? And, you know, the body seems to compartmentalize. And where stress hormones are concerned, that can be suppressive towards uh, healthy sexual desire and vitality and certainly affect uh, the quality of our relationships as well. And on the flip side of that, the necessary hormones that calm the system and help you feel more relaxed and comfortable and receptive, oxytocin, serotonin, and then conversely, I would say, Mm -hmm. then testosterone for drive. Those things, those hormones are all necessary for sexual vitality, drive, libido, and relationships. So how does ashwagandha then function in a way to, to help promote that kind of calm and ease in the system and maybe help help improve the production of the of the hormones ultimately the natural production of hormones that help a person live a fuller life and in their sexual health and and their relationships yes great question uh and you know the the mechanism by which ashwagandha uh, does make this impact um is multifold you know it, it has again it's an ad- adaptogenic herb and by really definition ad- adaptogens are they don't have a specific effect. In fact, they, you know, for example, if, if a system is under-functioning, an adaptogen will help stimulate that, that system to actually upregulate its function to get to back to a, a, to a homeostatic level of function. And on the flip side, if that system is over-functioning, which is often the case in the earlier stages of the stress response and adrenal, what we know as adrenal burnout, is where everything is kind of upregulated and there's too much of a lot of this activity. And in that scenario, adaptogens, including ashwagandha, are going to help to downregulate a lot of the production of some of these stress hormones and help to really create more of a balance between how cortisol and your stress hormones are being produced and, and how your sex hormones are being produced. So one of the main things that I kind of alluded to earlier was with, with regard to cortisol. And cortisol and your sex hormones just happen to share the same precursor, and that is cholesterol. Cholesterol is used uh, as a rudimentary material to actually build your sex hormones, including cortisol and your stress hormones. So, again, if we go back to kind of what I mentioned on in terms of what the body prioritizes, does the body prioritize sexual health over survival? The answer is no. The body is going to place survival at the top of the list. And so if there is a sense of threat, there's a feeling of threat out there, whether that be as simple as worrying about your mortgage payment uh, worrying about your your child's social life as they uh, enter into high school, you know, uh, there's an incredible amount of stressors that we encounter just by looking at our at our smartphones, right? You you look at the news feed and and suddenly you're just struck and you're almost struck with uh, with fear and you can't even move in certain cases. And this is a significant thing. And, and what's happening there is that your body is now saying, hey, instead of testosterone and estrogen and other, in, to your point, oxytocin and melatonin, all these, these other neurotransmitters and hormones that we use in our body, we're going to use only those hormones. We're going to only build those hormones and neurotransmitters that are going to help us survive because we feel like we're under threat. 
And so what happens is that all those precursors that would normally be going towards testosterone production and sex hormones are now going to be rerouted and they're going to be sent over to the adrenal glands where they're going to be used to produce cortisol. And uh, what happens over time, when this is happening day in and day out for years on end, what happens is that you, you get depleted uh, from all those precursors that are used to build your sex hormones and keep them in balance. And that becomes very problematic. That influences all kinds of aspects of your health. And we don't have time to go through all the, the various functions that testosterone does in the body. It's a, but it's a very important hormone for both men and women. By it becoming uh, you know, compromised by the, uh, the, the body's preference for, for building cortisol, your stress hormone, over its sex hormones, results in all kinds of imbalances, even imbalances that younger individuals are experiencing at a very young age now, um, as early as you know, 30 in, in their in their late 20s, men are are experiencing low testosterone symptoms, and and the wonder why is because well, these individuals, although they are young, they have been exposed to high levels of stress from an early age, and this is becoming one of the major obstacles I feel like to the you know to human to humanity really in general. I mean, our ability to reproduce and continue to live on this planet in a healthy state is dependent on us feeling healthy and being in balance and us being able to create these sex hormones to actually carry out the physiological needs that, that need to be taken care of in order for us to survive and thrive on this planet. So stress is a significant obstacle. Ashwagandha does an incredible job at addressing that, which is one of the reasons why I feel like ashwagandha has had so much attention it's had in recent years. And in terms of the research front, um, it's becoming one of the the primary uh, targets of botanical research. And the reason why I believe is because it's coming right at the right time. Ashwagandha has the potential to really improve the, the quality of life of so many individuals out there as we face these very challenging days in, of the modern world. And uh, I think the, the cosmos kind of conspires in the, in the right times and the right places. And this is, to me, is one of them. Ashwagandha is being placed on a stage for us all to feast from because we need it for our survival. That said, there are published studies today, you were alluding to that a moment ago, that are showing physiologic responses with the supplementation of KSM-66 ashwagandha. Uh, a recent study that was done on men found that supplementation increased natural testosterone levels, semen levels, and both sperm concentration and mobility. So with that kind of a result in a clinical, is, that, is there a physiologic response to the ashwagandha, or is it how, also how ashwagandha how is, is supporting the body's ability to cope with stressful situations, a stressful environment, and then normalizes itself? What's the answer there? Well, this, the study you're referencing is is a really a really great study. It's it was it was done on um, on ashwagandha KSM 66 ashwagandha using a uh, 375 milligram dose that's taken uh, in divided doses three times daily. You know the cohort. What I would like to actually point out too is because I had mentioned this before, the, the cohort that was used in that was age 22 to 44, and again uh, this problem of sexual function dysfunction low testosterone is not something that is just uh, reserved for the older population. This study showed that quite quite blaringly. But, uh, you know, the efficacy measures, as you mentioned, they looked at sperm concentration, semen volume, sperm motility, serum testosterone, and they also looked at luteinizing hormone levels, which is a great little add to the study, which I feel like gives it another another look because it helps us understand a little more about what ashwagandha is, in fact, doing 
And what, what really comes out of this is uh, what I'm seeing is that ashwagandha acts centrally. It acts actually in the central nervous system. It helps to stimulate the hypothalamus to produce certain you know, hormones that then communicate with other parts of the body. And that communication pathway is severely compromised when we're under stress. And, and, and ashwagandha really helps to kind of really jumpstart that and get it back online. And that is really obvious when you start looking at the, the outcomes of the study. They had sperm concentration was increased by 167%. That's significant. The semen volume, 53% increase. They had a significant e- increase in sperm motility up to the realm of 57%. Uh, serum testosterone was increased by 17%. And then luteinizing hormone was increased by 34%. All of those uh, factors are, are incredibly tied. I mean, they're very, very closely tied to the topic of stress and how that impacts your body's dealings with, with these hormones and, and how, it, how it allocates certain precursors to, to build them. Testosterone itself is really responsible for, for all those various things that I mentioned. Sperm concentration, semen volume, sperm motility. Testosterone is, is very much uh, the main driver of that process. And it, it's really a fascinating study that I feel like it sheds a lot of light on the mechanism of action of ashwagandha and also just gives us, you know, a, a, a confirmation on something that we've kind of known traditionally about this herb, which is it's potent and it has a strong effect on, on our endocrine system. And although those words may have not been used back in traditional Ayurveda, but, uh, you know, modern interpretation of some of this uh, is, is fascinating. And I think it's just a reconfirmation as to what we've known about this herb. Again, ashwagandha has been around for, for a very, very long time. It was talked about in, uh, in, in some of the ancient texts, which are dated, you know, over 5,000 years old. So we know that this is a safe uh, herb. We know that human beings have had a relationship with this herb for a very long time. And again, it's coming right back around to our visual field at just the right time in history. Thanks for all of that, Elijah. I'm going to wrap it up here. Are there any other added considerations about ashwagandha, sexual health, and vitality that you'd like to leave us with before we close? I will say this, that ashwagandha is actually one of the only herbs that I take on a daily basis, and that's been ongoing for a very long time. I use it as a, um, really to help help me on the mental aspects of life. You know, being human is not easy. And so my my recommendation to almost all my patients, and especially when it comes to this topic, is you got to approach these things uh, from a holistic perspective. And for me, a lot of that is, with regard to mind, is with you know establishing practice, a mindfulness practice, a meditation practice, laughing, having leisure time, exercising. You know, all these things influence the mind. And then on the body side, you know, absolutely having a nutrition, uh, a dietary plan that is appropriate for your body type. I know. We like to throw around the words diet, and, and people like to take those as blanket statements that should be applied to everyone, but everyone responds very differently to the foods we eat. And the best advice I can give there is to just listen to your body. When you eat something that you, that your body agrees with, you're going to feel that energy. You're going to feel good about it. When you don't, uh, when, when you eat something that is not appropriate for you, you're going to feel lethargic, and you're going to feel the impact of that. And so the other aspect is, I think everyone needs to hear this, is that we need to be kind to ourselves. We need to we need to give ourselves a pat on the back occasionally. That negative self-talk that we often engage in is again another one of those ways that we stimulate that stress response. So, in combination with ashwagandha, a healthy diet, getting adequate exercise, laughing, practicing meditation or mindfulness, all those things are going to help position you for greater levels of of, of health, uh, success, and and really 
vitality and that sexual health that we are all seeking to have in this life. Well, thank you so much, Elijah, and thank you for the reminder to be kind to ourselves. And thank you, everyone, for listening and learning today. And finally, thank you again to our sponsor, KSN 66 Ashwagandha, World's Best Ashwagandha. You've been listening to the Ashwagandha Advantage podcast. For more information on this and other related health benefits, please visit us at ashwagandhaadvantage.com.